Well, as the saying is, you had to be there, but well, we brought it to you. We brought camp to you today. Can, can, can I uh, uh, ask our adults who believe in our teenagers who want to cheer them, can we just cheer our teenagers on? We, we will not be a church that looks down upon our youth as they are uh, walking with Jesus. So we had 15, about 15 students accept Jesus Christ as their Savior at camp. And then um, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 for our teenagers to be an example. And 29 teenagers and one youth leader went and got baptized at the lake. So. So we, uh, we, we love them. And they're in every part of our church uh, with our kids and our tech and our cameras and our worship team and sound booth. And uh, we, we are a church that loves our teenagers. And so thank you for letting us give you a little taste of camp. And uh, Nash, we can thank God for Nash and the team to, to lead worship for them. So um, I tell you, with incredible worship for me to get up and speak, it was like just putting a ball on a tee and like swing away. And so it was absolutely, absolutely a joy to teach. And finally, after all these years of asking God for a certain ministry, He finally gave it to me last week, the ministry of jet skis. And so I got to take a bunch of kids out on rides. So it was great. If you're joining us, we are in this uh, Creative Fund series in uh, August called First Opinions 316. As we hear words, phrases, and, and, and statements made, it's like, well, it sounds like it's in the Bible. Obviously, it must be in the Bible. And we find out, no, it's actually not in the Bible. It's more of opinion, First Opinions 316. So we're looking at untruths that sound so true. Like that has to be in the Bible. Someone told me it was in the Bible, and it's never been in the Bible. Or it's a twisted version of the Bible that is completely inaccurate. And, and so we launched this series uh, first Sunday in August, and, and I talked about how the phrase of God helps those who helps themselves. Well, actually, the Bible teaches the opposite. God helps the helpless. And then last week, this is used all the time in our culture, like, thou shalt not judge me. Don't judge me. You, the Bible says you are not to judge me. Pastor Kevin did a great job, finally heard it on our, on our podcast platform last night, of that's not what Jesus was saying. And he un, did a great job unpacking what exactly Jesus said and what he meant. And today, I'm going to give you probably the one, number one statement that I have heard more from believers that honestly in their goodness of their heart believe the Bible teaches this. It's this, God will not give you more than you can handle. How many have heard that phrase said before? Okay, what I'm not going to have you do is raise your hands if you have said that in the past, okay? Uh, so we're going to un unpack that. It sounds like that's in the Bible. But it's not. But it's not. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me, uh, I'm going to unpack a, a, a couple verses that this is where it, this passage has given birth to this statement that, that God will not give you anything more than you can handle. But that's not what the text is saying. And the whole purpose of this series is for you and I to make sure that we are running words and statements and things that we think are true 
true or in the Bible, make, run them actually through Scripture. So Scripture teaches for itself, stands by it on itself. This is what God's Word actually says. But in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10, this is where that phrase has been birthed from. Inaccurate, but this is where it's come from. Verse 12, Paul says this, so if you think you are standing firm, like meaning you, you're not, you don't have a problem with temptation with sin. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind, meaning all of us go through this. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's where that phrase right there has been misused. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That little phrase there, so that more than you can bear, has been kind of turned to to say something that God's not saying. This passage here, that's not what Paul is saying. If someone ever says to you in a Bible study, well, what do you think that passage means? You should respond like this, it doesn't matter what I think. What is the passage saying? And so, in James chapter 1, it's very clear that God does not tempt us to sin. God does not dangle sin in front of us going, oh, this is really good. Oh, everybody's doing it. You should probably do it too. God will never, ever, ever do that. But He will allow us to be tempted. It's a test of our faith, test of our obedience. He'll allow us to be tempted. And He says this, that, but God will not allow your temptation to be beyond what you can bear. But He will always, always, always allow you an off-ramp so that you don't sin. Uh, Repeat after after, uh, me. I can click off. off. Okay, we'll we'll try that again. Call and response. I'll say it and you repeat it. All right, repeat repeat after me. I can click off, off. turn off, off. walk off, off. or drive drive off to say no to sin. One more time. I can click off. I can turn off. I can walk off. I can drive off to say no to sin. See, God will always, in temptation to sin that Satan's bringing, God's allowing it, God is always going to provide you an off-ramp, an exit to say no to sin. To say no to sin. Now, turn to your right a couple of pages, or flip on your Bible app, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God's Word is going to tell us about what happens when we are facing something that is beyond our ability. It is way beyond us. We are overwhelmed with a situation, with a trial, with a circumstance. Now, this is what God says about that. God's Word says, verse 8, Paul says this, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters. That's a phrase for believers. We don't want you to be uninformed believers. About the troubles we experienced, past tense, meaning Paul's going to say, this is what I went through, uh, in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure it. It was way beyond us. 
so that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever had something so hard, so heavy, so overwhelming, like, you know what, I, I don't know if I can continue to, to live. Maybe it will be better if I die. That, that's what Paul experienced. That's what he said, verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but, we pay very close attention, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again on Him, on Christ. We have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is not the last thing you can do. Well, I guess I can't do anything but pray. Prayer is the most important thing. But Paul's saying, by experience, I have faced in the providence of Asia, it was so overwhelming, it was beyond my ability to bear it. I thought it would be better that I died. But God did this. God allowed this so I wouldn't rely on myself, but on Him. So if you take your notes, here's the central point today. It's this, that God, God often does give us more than we can handle. He does do that. Why? So we stop relying on ourselves and rely on Him instead. God does, often does, allow, give us more than we can handle. I can't handle this physical health issue problem anymore. It's way beyond me. I cannot rely on myself. My body's falling apart. I have to rely on God for His strength. I'm in a financial situation that is way beyond me, well beyond me. I can't buy my way out of it. I can't pay my way out of it. It's like, God, I can't deal with this. It is way beyond me. God's allowed this so that I don't rely on myself. But I rely on Him, that He is my Jehovah Jireh. Not the shipyard, not the U.S. Navy, and not my bank account, not my job. God is my Jehovah Jireh. God has allowed things in my life, relationship problems, burying loved ones, a child, a spouse, a parent that is way beyond us. God allows those things so that we won't rely upon ourselves. Part of the number one challenge living in the Western Hemisphere is us Americans are like, I can do it myself. I got this. I can do it. I can pay it. I can fix it. God often says, mm -mm, I'm going to allow this so that you look up and rely on me. And our faith muscles start actually getting exercised. Now, God in His sovereignty and His uh, plan of all things worked it all out so that I can have help illustrating this to you by interviewing one of Grace Point's very own missionaries to Ukraine. Can you give a warm Graceport welcome to Caleb Suko, one of our missionaries? There you go. I'll put you right in the middle. The more handsome people in the middle. Okay, Caleb. Um, Caleb, his wife Christina and his daughter Anastasia is here. Can we say hello to them? Christina, Anastasia. 
Uh, anyways, but God worked it out to have. Yes, He did. And so we're going to illustrate this this myth, this lie that you know God's not going to give us more than we can handle. Because now you've been in Ukraine for a long time, and then you find yourself in the middle of a war. Um, describe the scene when the night you heard air raids, and then you saw bombs and heard them. The first time, you mean, yes, right? Yes, the first time. Because <laughs> there's, there's been a few of those, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, February 24th was the day the invasion started. And up until then, we had made the decision to stay in Ukraine as long as we could to be able to serve, serve our church and uh, serve others. And so we actually, before, uh, let's say, you know, go back a couple of weeks, we really didn't think that the invasion would happen. It seemed like it would just kind of all blow over. And, but I would say definitely by the 23rd, the day before it happened, there were a lot of signs that we were starting to think that this could happen. And we had a contingency plan. We were prepared for it. So that morning, February 24th at 5 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang, and it was our regional director. And he had been watching the news. He must have been up all night or something. He was worried for us. And he said, listen, the invasion has started. You guys need to leave. And we got up. Looked around, everything's quiet, checked our news feeds, nothing really there yet. And probably about 15, 20 minutes later, we walked out into the living room. And actually, Christina, my wife, she saw the red glow of a Russian missile passing our living room window. And about 30 seconds, a minute later, we heard and felt the mm -hmm. boom from the explosion and the shock wave from that missile hitting some target in our city somewhere. Wow. You didn't take that class in seminary, Bible college? No, we, we did not have that <laughs> class in seminary. So no. give us an update. Uh, there's been lots of changes with your church and the even the dynamic and demographics of your church. And right. So given us an update. So just to kind of let you know sort of where we are, we are in Odessa, which is on the shore of the Black Sea, southern Ukraine. Uh, and when Russian forces came in, uh, they came in uh, to the north, to the east, and to the south on three sides. And so we're in the south, and we're probably just about less than 100 miles to the east. It would be uh, all that red area is a Russian-occupied area there. So, so we it did end up leaving uh, later that day. But just a little bit about our church. Uh, our church, God gave us the opportunity to plant an international church in Ukraine uh, just about two years mm -hmm. ago. That was an unexpected opportunity for us, but we realized that we had a lot of uh, West Africans, North Africans, uh, Indians, uh, people from the Middle East in Odessa. And so we began working and ministering with them, sharing the gospel with them. And what a blessing that was to see this church formed and very exciting to, to work with people from so many different countries and backgrounds. Uh, a lot of our ministry really focused on uh, helping them to learn the language and so we had a, a Russian club because Odessa is more Russian speaking. And we had a lot of our students, uh, not even from the Christian faith, from Hindu, or the, either Hindus or Muslims, uh, probably primarily uh, more than we even had Christians attending our, our club. But we ministered to them, shared the love of Christ with them. And we even had our first baptism in December. Nice. December nice. in the Black Sea, nice. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God for that. You know, this, this guy that was baptized, he was so excited to get baptized. I said, well, you know, it is December. I mean, it is, it is Ukraine, and it is the Black Sea. It didn't, didn't, didn't stop him. And so, so that was a huge encouragement to our church and 
actually we, we were planning to do another couple of baptisms uh, right before the, the war hit and, and didn't get around to them, but I'll tell you about that later. So when we left, our church had you know, already been going on for a while there. We had all this contact with internationals. We see that God just really set the stage for us to be able to minister to them right. as they're fleeing from, from this war. So we did not leave immediately that morning because there were bombs falling everywhere, and not only in our city, but in many cities in Ukraine on February 24th. It was dark outside. I didn't think it was good to put my family, go outside in the dark. We don't know if there's tanks coming into our city, if there's Russian troops already on the borders of the city, on the edge of the city, or anything. So we waited until it was light. We waited until we could kind of figure out the situation and until some of the explosions kind of died down a little bit. Later that day, we left. It took us 24 hours to get out of the country and to Kishinev, Moldova. Which normally takes Which normally takes about four. 24. Yeah, so we, we sat all night in the car. We were a little bit worried we'd, whether we'd have enough fuel. Thankfully, we did. And when we got out of the country, we kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Felt like okay, we're a little safer now. But then really we turned around immediately and we started serving our internationals as they came out of the country literally hundreds of them started coming out and this i'm not just talking about ukrainians there were obviously thousands and tens of thousands of ukrainians coming out but because we had this contact and god had created this situation really through our church they started sharing our phone number my phone number personally <laughs> with all kinds of indians and africans and all these people but for them it was a lot more difficult because they didn't know the languages they didn't have any contacts in those areas and so god allowed us to be able to just serve them as they came out and they began calling us at every hour of the night i had in fact this these guys here one of them called me at one o'clock in the morning and, he, and I'd been talking to them on and off early, for a few days since then. Say, hey, we finally made it out. I said, okay, great. Uh, let me know how many people are in your group. We were working with a small church there, just a small church of about 35 people or so. And they had maybe a thousand square foot facility, maybe not even that, I can't remember. But I said, we can house you for a night or two and then get you, get you for, uh, further down the road. He said, well, we have 45 people. Well, you know, we had, we had gone to a store, bought all of their air mattresses. Like, I think it was just about 40 air mattresses. I said, well, we might, we might be able to do it. I think it'll be shoulder to shoulder, you know, but we could probably do it. I said, well, but that's just in our bus. We have three buses. It's 150 people. So, oh, wow. That's, that's more than I can handle, right? Exactly. And, and so, uh, thankfully, uh, they were able to work it out. And with the military... They ended up staying in the military barracks. We went to visit them. We ministered to them. We prayed with them. And we logistically helped them to get further into Romania and some further into Germany. Some went back to India. I still keep in touch with many of these people today and, and, and many of their parents yeah, as well. You, you told me you never thought years ago that God would put you as, as an international pastor, not just right. Ukrainian, <laughs> right. but all over. Yeah, definitely didn't think I'd be uh, pastoring, you know, Africans and Indians in Ukraine, in Ukraine right? Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. But God, you know, has amazing ways that he works like that. So we were able to facilitate a lot of people coming out, especially in the, in the month of March. In fact, this is, this is some friends that were connected with our church, uh, Pierre from South Africa, Prawin from, from India, and they got stuck in Kherson, which Kherson was taken over by Russians just 
few days after the invasion started. And they were right down there by the mayor's office center. They saw everything going on there. They didn't turn their lights on once for 30 days. Wow. Because wow. they didn't want anyone to know they were there. They didn't want any Russian soldiers coming into their house and doing whatever they might do there. And, and so they had been talking with me all along. And you, you feel very helpless. Like, this is more than we can handle, right? Right, right. How, like, how do I help them? I can't. All right. I can do, I can pray for them. I can, you know, encourage them. And, and so finally, uh, he said, listen, I found a guy. He said that he knows a way to get across the front lines of the war. I have to pay $1,000 to a driver just to get across the front lines. And so they prayed about it. We prayed about it. They decided to do it. And, you know, you have to go through all these checkpoints, military checkpoints. And I, we go through a lot of Ukrainian checkpoints. I've never been through Russian checkpoints for obvious reasons. Uh, but they had to go through the Russian checkpoints before they could get to the Ukrainian territory. So they went through all these checkpoints. They got to the last checkpoint, and the Russian soldiers told them there, okay, you just go that way until you see the Ukrainian tanks. And if you hear a shooting, just drive faster. There you go. <laughs> you know, and, and, and honestly, Barry, I mean, those are the situations where you definitely realize this is more than we can handle. Right. It's way beyond. And, and even like with the air raids, you know, and I don't know if I shared this with you, but when I was back in Ukraine too in April and, and they started bombing us at like, four, like well, it was like five o'clock in the morning too. And, you know, you, you sit there and I go to the toilet. I sit on the toilet, you know, when they bomb us because that's the safest room in the house. <laughs> so, and, and you're like, I, I mean, I can't stop those bombs, right, right? Right, I can't direct those bombs. I don't know where they're going to land. And honestly, if they do land directly on my building, the toilet's not going to save me, right? Only God can. And that's more than I can handle. Right. Uh, so many, many situations like that that, you know, we saw God really working. Yeah, it's, I think it's a human nature thing, but definitely an American thing. We, we, we think we can control. We can't control anything but our response. So now you find yourself, and again, God had gone years ahead of you of all the relationships and networking and uh, pastors and churches from all around, not just in Ukraine. So now you find yourself as uh, got, got your family settled, and now you're helping all your, your, your international parts of your church. But now you're going back and forth with supplies right. because they need water, they need food, they need rice. Uh, one of the things, you know, we've been in contact when there's a need. Uh, there's an agreement that, that Caleb will let us know, Grace Point know, so that we can meet that need. So that's happened several times. We're like one was with the trailer. So, so what's the update of your church now? So it took us about three weeks, uh, basically the month of March, just to make sure all of our internationals were out and we would meet them. We would facilitate, uh, house them, help them get on further. We sent a bunch into Romania, Germany, Holland. And so in April, actually, I started going back into Ukraine. Right. But also, uh, we went and visited some of our refugees that were in Romania at that time. I remember I said that we were planning a baptism. Right. So we thought we can't let Putin stop this baptism, That's right. right? That's right. And so we went to, I went to the mountains of Western Romania, Transylvania, and baptized Rhoda from Nigeria. And That's then went awesome. to That's Bucharest, awesome. baptized Leo from India. So that was an encouragement, but we began going back into Ukraine, and that was one of the things that we talked about, the trailer. So this was, this was as a result of you guys, that we were able to hook this on the back of our van every time we went in, and just put in there as much of, I mean, it was basic things, things like pasta, rice, flour, right. sugar, um, uh, diapers, right. uh, all of your, your basic 
basic uh, food items and hygiene type things that, that we could bring into the country. And so we were able to make a number of trips in, in especially in April, doing that. And, and what we saw was that the churches were able to use that mm-hmm. to make up food packets. That's right. And, and begin ministering to people that way. Practical needs so that you can reach spiritual needs. Right, right. right. You said something when we went to coffee um, a couple of weeks ago that the churches that were prepared to share the gospel and help people before the war, there's a big difference between those churches and churches who were not prepared to share the gospel and help people. So what does that look like now? Right. We found that there was, there was a pretty big contrast between uh, how some churches reacted. And you have to understand the situation is that a lot of people left Ukraine. And that means a lot of people left the churches. Right. And so if you had a church of 100, it's not, it wouldn't be uncommon for there to be 25 left in that church. Uh, it depends a little bit on the church, but a lot of the women and children left. And so, of course, a lot of people can just kind of look at that, and you look at your own church, and you think, wow, you know, there's just not very no. many of us now. What do we do? And just feel bad for yourself. But then we also found that there were some churches that sort of didn't pay any attention to that. And most, most of the time, those were churches that were heavily invested in evangelism mm-hmm. and in reaching the needs of the people around them. And so one of the churches, in fact, in fact, it's this church here. This is one of the churches that we were able to bring some of the supplies to. It's Crossroads Church in Odessa. This is a church of 35 people. Mm-hmm. And we've had a good relationship with them before the war started and ministered with them on a number of times. Always a very strong gospel church. And so we were able to bring some of these supplies in for them. But they probably within the third day of the war, they began to say, wait, we need to minister to people. Right. And they began to do evangelistic services every day for, and for two months. And I'm not, not like every day, like seven days a week. They would just say, we're, we have a church building. We're going to open it up. Open it up. We're going to preach the gospel to people and we're going to minister to their needs. And every day people showed up. And more and more people showed up. And so many people showed up, they had to have a second location. And they started doing a second location. And more people started showing and, and up there. services were like hours long, not yeah, and, and they're, they're, 30 minutes long. Right, not 30 minutes. They would do an hour service, an hour and a half. In fact, I went and, and I, I, I participated in their outreaches several times. This is after one of the outreaches. And I, I think it was maybe the first time that I was there. And I, I, I preached. And I thought, well, they'll have a you know, token gospel message. And then they'll give out some food. No, it was an hour and a half long. I think maybe even more than that. And then we had like eight, ten people come forward afterwards mm-hmm. and get saved. And I kind of thought, oh, you know, they're just, you know, the American is here, so they're, they're just kind of like, maybe they asked some of these people just to come forward or something. No, like, like this is just happening all the time. All the it's time. just a regular thing. And so we find that churches and individuals, we cannot plan for these tragic circumstances in life, whatever right. it may be, war or health issues or something like that. But we prepare for them. And, and we prepare for them by focusing on these core gospel, mm-hmm. these core gospel issues and making sure that we are sensitive and meeting people's needs around us. And those churches had to change a little bit what they were doing. Because you can't just keep doing exactly what you're doing when, when there's an invasion, when war starts. And so what they did was they changed because they realized, okay, here's the need now. Right. So let's try to meet this need. Uh, but through that, God has done some really amazing things. But if their heart was to share the gospel before the war, that, that just continued. 
Yes. And, and we're finding the states, the churches that are dying are the churches that are not thinking about evangelism. Right. They're thinking inward. Right. And so they just, they just did uh, what, what they normally do. You said some churches that were like 35, they're now like 300. Well, yeah, I mean, they, so this, this is the baptism from this church just, I think, last month. That was the church that was 35, and now they're baptizing 10, 12 yeah. people. And, and so, yeah, just, just amazing. Is, God, God is blessing yeah. the work. Yeah. So um, when I'm hearing all these baptism stories, and I saw the you know, 29 students and one of our adult leaders to get baptized, and I'm seeing be baptized in December, and it wasn't 78 degree water um, at the time. So um, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. What is hindering you from obeying God's word and being baptized? Go online. I know there's a, something in the program for being baptized. Or go online, if you're watching online, go to our event page and register and share your faith story and go public in obedience and be baptized next Sunday. I couldn't help but share that. By the way, we we don't baptize in the sea anymore because we have sea mines floating around. Sea mines, yes. You might get blown up, seriously. So so we we do pools So we (laughs) promise you there won't be any mines in our baptistry next Sunday. Now, again, I think God was preparing you for years ahead of all your connections and relationships with other pastors, other churches. And really, days before the invasion, you did ministry in eastern Ukraine with a Ukrainian pastor. Tell, me, tell us his story about being captured. So, and again, this is just God's leading that we, you know, happened to be in eastern Ukraine a couple days before the war started. And thankfully, we got back before it did start. But one of the pastors that I've known for quite some time, and just the most humble, loving guy, very approachable, the kind of guy that if, if you experience something difficult in your life, you would want to go to because you know he's going to put his arm around you, he's going to pray for you, he's going to encourage you, and then he's going to actually do something to help you. And they had a wonderful, very strong, gospel-centered church in eastern Ukraine, and Shortly after the invasion started, within about a week, their city was also taken by Russian forces. Well, he decided to stay. I had a church of about 300 or so, and he decided to stay to minister. He knew it was going to be a difficult time for his church, for his people, and for his city. And, and so he stayed and began doing that. Well, a couple of weeks into it, for whatever reason, the Russian soldiers came to his church, and they arrested him, and they arrested his wife. And they accused him of being an American spy or conspiring with Americans and also of subvert, subverting the minds of the youth. And that was with, my goal last week at camp. Yeah, I know. And, and, and honestly, like, they, they had a very strong youth program. They had a gym in their church. And so they would invite the young men to come after school, work out. And then they would share a Bible study with them. They would share God's word with them. And so they knew that they, they had been doing a lot of work with the youth. And so they did let his wife go uh, after some time, but they began to interrogate him. And, of course, Russian methods of interrogation are, are, are very violent. And so he was beaten for a couple of days, thrown into a, a basement. And really they thought, in fact, that, that Second Corinthians passage kind of reminded me of this. Like, he, he endured more than, right. than he ever thought he could or would. Hmm. And, and he even told me that he thought he was dead. That, that's what he told me. And, but thankfully, and by God's mercy, 
I believe that the Russians believed that he was dead or dying, and they allowed him to go to the hospital. And he eventually recovered, eventually went home, and, and then eventually actually left that area, although he kind of wanted to stay, but he just knew that if he was to be taken again, he would not survive it. Yeah. So not to put words in his mouth, but if he was here, what, was, what would be his response about this whole thing? God will not give you anything more right. than you can handle. Well, you know, and I did talk to him after this, and one of the things that he told me, he said, he said, first of all, I said, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. Wow. And so it's not something that he knew he would ever have to go through or specifically plan to go through. But he also told me that he said, hey, God's mercy was there. And, and he just accredited all to God. And, and I know that very clearly from, from talking to him, that it was, it was nothing but God's mercy in his life, mm-hmm. even in allowing him to go to the hospital, and all of those things, he just saw God's mercy as being very great. And those are the times when we realize that physically, there is absolutely nothing that we can do. Right. Mentally, so I mean, these are very, very difficult things. And I don't, I don't think that we can at all, you know, just, just say, oh, you know, hey, God will, God will help you. You know, it's like, we have to really seriously consider these things because they're not easy at all. But we do know that God's mercy is greater than all these. Amen. Uh, so right now, uh, Ukraine is kind of off the news and the, the headlines, but there's, you share with me, or showed me on Facebook just yesterday or two days ago, there's massive bombings. And so it is still going on pretty strong there in Ukraine. But how's it, generally speaking, what's going on in the church? What's going on spiritually in that country? So definitely spiritually, we're, we're seeing a revival that is a little bit similar to what we saw in the 1990s after the Soviet Union fell, but sort of like 1990s on steroids, mm. because these are very tragic times. When the Soviet Union fell, it was difficult times, uh, but you didn't have so much death and destruction, people losing their homes, losing their loved ones, losing their limbs. And so you just have a lot of pain and suffering that the whole country is, is somehow connected to. There's not a single person that doesn't know someone that died, that doesn't have a relative that died or, or was injured or lost their home or something like that. But that, of course, means great spiritual opportunities because when people lose everything, they begin to look for something that they can't lose, right? right. And say that again, say that again. <laughs> when people lose everything, they begin to look for something they can't lose. Wow. And that's, that's God himself. And so we see this great opening in the hearts of many people to the gospel. And that's why we, we want to be there. And we've come here, rested a little bit, and we want to, we want to go back. Yeah. He, he didn't announce, you know, on social media that he was coming home. But in June he came home because uh, he grew up in Gig Harbor um, there. And he needed, him and his family just needed some peace and quiet. But he, Caleb... He didn't tell me to say this. I'm just telling you this. He'd been running on adrenaline for months and getting calls in the middle of the night and making trips and making deliveries and just loving, loving, serving, serving, connecting. So he needed to completely unplug. And so, um, but you're, you're going back, you're, you're, you're going to go back to Moldova and then back to Ukraine, but you're flying out Wednesday. We fly out Wednesday. We, we do fly into Moldova because we cannot fly into Ukraine. Correct. And then the following day we will drive. So what, what are some things we can pray for you? So pray for our family because this is a big change for our family. We're leaving two of our kids here just because the situation is not very stable. Junior they're, and a senior in high school, They're right? finishing up high school and with 
COVID and then a war. It should have been not a very good last couple of years for their schooling in that sense, difficult. So they're going to be doing schooling here last uh, this year. And so, how old is your son that's going back with you? And then our son is coming with us. We have one coming with us. He's 12. Okay. And he's going into seventh grade. So he may, he may yeah. enjoy not having his sisters around for a little bit, but, <laughs> but that will dissipate quickly. But we told him he's getting all the chores them. are his now. There we go. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, they won't miss him at first, right? Uh, right, yeah. Anastasia? But then you will. You will. That's a big change for, for you and Christina to, yes, to leave. Is, yeah. I, just parents, imagine leaving your junior and senior here and then going back because God called you there. Right. And, and one of the things I say to people, too, is that just because the situation got difficult doesn't mean that God changed our calling. That's right. So that, that's why we want to go back. And because we see that this is a, a unique time to minister. I mean, this is the harvest. And, and many missionaries work for many, many years, don't really see much harvest. We're seeing a lot right now. Right. And we want to be there for it. And, and God uses people in, in those situations. But pray for our safety as well. The 24th, which is Wednesday, is Independence Day for Ukraine, okay? Uh, it's not something that Russia likes, and it's most like, it's very likely they're going to do some attacks. Do some, yeah. We don't actually go in on the 24th. We'll go in two days later. But do pray for our safety, because we do still have missiles occasionally coming in to the city or around the city. Um, it, it's, it's a regular thing. Anything else you'd like to share with yeah, our Grace just, Point family? I, I would say, as final prayer request, pray for our... Um, wisdom as we get back into the ministry there because the needs are so great then you have a lot of demand and a lot of people asking hey can you help here can you help there so there's important choices that we need to make to make sure we're we're pinpointing the ministry and our energies where God wants us to be yeah and he understands that our agreement is when there's a, a, a tangible need um, to reach out to us at Grace Point and every time we've been able to meet that need because, because of your giving and your generosity. And this is like, this is real life and real people. And so that's why we, we have to have a vision as a church is just continue to be an outward vision, not just a selfish inward focus. So he has, he has understanding. If there's a need, please reach out to me um, and our missions uh, team that makes those decisions. But every time they've been able to say, Absolutely, and then even maybe above and beyond that. And so, so that is uh, something that we love blessing you. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for that. We really, and we appreciate, I really want to say that we do really, really appreciate your, your spiritual prayer support. Absolutely. Because when I'm sitting on the toilet and the bombs are falling, I mean, your, your money is not helping us, okay? <laughs> no. But your prayers are, all right? Yeah. Yeah, and he's actually said, hey, could you please get this out and pray? Uh, I think Christina's uh, parents, who, who are Ukrainian, needed to leave, but they had to cross a bridge, the only bridge in the area, and it was getting bombed. So I put it out on social media, please pray for Christina's parents, since prayer is a powerful tool, like Paul says. So we're going we're gonna to wrap our time up here to, to, to pray for them, and if you join me uh, right now. God, we, we are honored to be a supporting uh, church on, on Caleb's uh, team and, and to be a partner across the country, across the world. And Lord, we just thank you for them. We ask that you would bless uh, Caleb and Christina and the big changes that are coming, specifically with their family and um, having uh, some of their kids stay here to finish their high school. 
um, bringing their, their middle schooler with them. We pray that you would give them grace. That's going to be a challenge emotionally um, for them. I pray that you would just, um, again, honor their calling, but also help them as mom and dad. I uh, pray for the, the daughters that are staying behind. Help them as they're going to miss their parents. And Lord, I pray that you would give uh, Caleb wisdom with so many needs. Uh, give him wisdom and discernment and really hear from you of what needs to meet and when. Give him that special discernment that he needs. We also pray for their protection. I pray for their marriage. I pray for their family and their ministry. Lord, continue to do a, a work there, but we do, we do pray for peace and, and resolution. So, Lord, thank you for them and their, their calling and their heart uh, to share the gospel, no matter the circumstance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank uh, Caleb and Christina? It's so, uh, so great to par partner with you. And then you, you were mentioning meeting the practical needs with the spiritual need in mind. And that's one of the cool things. Every August we partner with Children of the Nations. There's some smile, uh, empty bags packs, smile packs there where you go uh, and shop for school supplies for orphans of ch um, Children of the Nations so that they go to school. We'll ship them there. We'll go to school with the school supplies. Again, meeting a practical need that opens the heart to a spiritual need. So take as many as you like and bring them back next week. And if you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. And please go by guest services so we can give you a gift to say thank you for being here at Grace Point. May God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.